0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer.
1: G'day, mates. It's Beebuster Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. But thanks for listening, guys, and without further ado, let's begin. I cannot specifically remember exactly what grade I was in, but I do remember that I was in middle school. I remember this detail because when this event took place... I was with someone that was only my friend during my middle school years. After that, my friend moved away and we lost touch. And this story takes place on the outskirts of St. Louis, Missouri, during the 1980s. For reference to, we will call the friend that I was with, Amy. So it had been a fun day with Amy. My mum had dropped us off at the mall where we had been wandering around window shopping and trying on clothes and stuff. This was a very tiny mall in a small town on the outskirts of St. Louis. Because this mall was so tiny too, it didn't actually have a lot of restaurants or a food court or anything. However, there was a McDonald's across the way. To get there faster too, you could cut through a field that was in between the mall parking lot and a street. Once you cut across that field and cross the road, McDonald's was pretty much right there. So, Amy and I went to McDonald's, ordered our food and we sat down. We were eating our ice cream and just sort of chatting away when a man walked in and sat down at the table in front of ours. The way that we were sitting put Amy's back to him but left me facing his direction. And Almost immediately I began to get a really uneasy feeling because not only did this man not order anything to eat but he just sat there the entire time staring at me with the angriest look on his face. He wasn't even trying to hide it too, the fact that he was just staring. I also remember that he had these piercing eyes that were bright blue. Keep in mind too that this was before cell phones were abundant so calling my mum wasn't really an option. And being as young as I was it never really occurred to me in my childlike mind that I should maybe get the attention of an adult working there or ask to use the phone. All I could remember thinking was this scary man was making me feel really uncomfortable. Eventually Amy and I finished our food and our ice cream. I had used her head to obstruct the man's view of my face and whispered to her what he was doing. I also told her that if he followed us out that we needed to run. And sure enough, as soon as we got up to leave, so did he. We rushed out the door as fast as we could, then we began to sprint. I looked behind me and He was getting into one of those boat-sized cars that were made in like the 70s or early 80s. Luckily for us, there wasn't much traffic and we were able to cross the street before he had a chance to even get to us. When we got to the field, I turned around to look to see where he was again. Before I go any further too, let me note that next to the field was the street that ran horizontally, the one that we had crossed. And then to the left of the field, there was another street that ran vertically. That street intersected with the one that we had to cross, so the field was basically in the corner of these streets, if you catch my drift. The street to the left didn't run in a perfectly straight line, though. It ran in a sort of diagonal direction that would eventually take you to the mall parking lot. And this was good, too, because when I had turned around again, I could see that he was actually watching to see where we were going. Next, he turned into the street to the left of us and was driving really fast. He was definitely coming for us, and like I said, the street that ran diagonally took him in the direction away from us, but would eventually have us end up in the same parking lot. And it was very obvious that he was trying to get to the mall parking lot before we could get there, because the road that he was on went away from us, and we were shortcutting it through the field, plus running as fast as we could. We were able to get inside of the mall, thankfully, before he could catch us, but... I think that we got very, very lucky. Once we got inside of the mall, though, we frantically ran up to the security guard and told him what had happened. Shockingly enough, too, he blew our story off as an exaggerated tale from two dramatic middle school children. Things were were much different back then. Today, if young kids approached an adult with a story like that, the police would be called right away, I suppose, and a description of the man and his vehicle would be taken. Even worse than that, though... When Amy and I told my mother the story, she just blew it off as well. My mother was emotionally neglectful and definitely was not the best parent growing up. I had serious trust issues towards adults growing up because of many situations like this. I never felt protected by the people that should have listened and also kept me safe. I felt alone and unheard. This event being an important reason too that I felt that way, but anyway... I digress. So fast forward a few days ago and my husband was watching a YouTube video about serial killers. And I stopped dead in my tracks because as he was watching it, a familiar picture popped up on that video. One of the people or the pictures of the men mentioned in this video was the same man from that McDonald's. I am 99% certain that it was him too. And his name was Tommy Lynn Sells. Let me add too that I have an excellent memory and I'm definitely a visual learner. I suck at names but never forget faces. I can even remember a few people and events from when I was like only three years old. But this was such a scary event that I never forgot that man's face or the angry look that radiated off of him. It definitely stayed engraved in my young mind, and there is no doubt in my mind that that man was evil. My husband already knew my story, and when I told him that I thought that that was the man who attempted to kidnap me, he was a bit skeptical at first. So together we decided to do a little further research on this guy, and what came next only solidified what I suspected. Tommy Lynn Sells was killing people, sometimes young girls my age, and he was indeed killing people in the St. Louis area during that time. He was also working at carnivals and was traveling, killing other people in other states. Unlike most serial killers though, he didn't have a, a type. Anyone he could get his hands on was pretty much fair game, he just liked the rush of killing. But what made this even creepier was the mall that Amy and I were at had a carnival going on every summer in the parking lot on the other side of where we were. I can't really remember what month it was when this happened, but I do remember the weather was really hot. Which means that I'm relatively positive that it was summertime. I wonder too if maybe he was working for that carnival... But the picture of him on Wikipedia is exactly what the man at McDonald's looked like, that's for sure, even down to the same evil angry look. And I, for one, will never forget that expression. Now, I've been mulling over and over this ever since. I don't know if I should contact the FBI with my story, although he was executed in 2014. L.E. knows of 22 murders that he committed, but they suspect that there are many, many more. And who knows, my story might just place him in an area someone disappeared from, but I don't know how helpful it would actually be considering that I can't remember the exact month or year. And to be honest, I don't even know if I would be believed. What do you guys think I should do? This took place 20 years ago when I was 12 years old. Almost all of the details were kept from me at the time, I think due to my age, so I didn't find out until much later what actually took place. My mother, understandably, still doesn't really like talking about any of this, as it was a really traumatic experience. It's only with hindsight that I've realized how genuinely creepy and horrific this whole situation was anyway. In early 2000, I had just started high school. We lived a little ways away from school, so my mother used to drop me off in the mornings and pick me up in the afternoons. On the 15th of February that year, I headed to meet my mum at the usual pick up point across the road from my school, but I was surprised to find my grandmother waiting for me there instead. My grandmother told me that my mum wasn't able to pick me up, so I went with her and we picked up my brother from his primary school, but my sisters were both away on school trips. We went back to my grandparents' house, and my Nana and my grandfather sat us down to tell us that something terrible had happened. That our mum's close friend, Vivian, had died the previous day. They didn't go into any details, other than that mum was obviously extremely upset. We were upset too, to be honest. I mean, Vivian was a lovely lady and we had spent a lot of time at her house over the years, not only because Vivian and my mum were close, but also because Vivian's husband, Andrew, was my brother's club scout leader and one of their sons was my brother's friend. At that age though, nobody that I knew had ever really died, so it was quite difficult to process what had happened. We'd only just seen her the previous weekend in fact. From my perspective, as a naive 12-year-old, the following days passed mostly without incident, apart from my mother's obvious sadness. In hindsight, there was also an air of disquiet around her, but I didn't really clock it at the time. Around two weeks after Vivian's death, I was at home with my mother and my brother, while my stepfather, a barista, was out for dinner with a client. It was early evening, maybe like 7pm, and... I believe my older sister was at her boyfriend's house, while my younger sister was at basketball practice. Our house has a large open-plan L-shaped room which encompassed the kitchen, living room, and the dining room areas. My brother was playing in his bedroom while I was sitting on the couch just watching TV in the living room area with my mum. From that vantage point too, I had a clear view of the front door, but the security light on our front porch flickered on, and there was a knock at my door... My mother got up to answer it and as she opened the door, she took a step backwards and visibly stiffened. Vivian's husband, Andrew, was standing on our porch asking to see my stepfather. I remember my mum explaining that my stepdad wasn't available to talk at the moment and that if Andrew needed to speak to him then it would be better to leave a message. Andrew clearly realized that my stepdad wasn't home and insisted on waiting for him My mum repeated that it would be better to call another time but he easily sidestepped her into the house and strode straight into the living room area. I can still picture my mother's forced cheeriness and frozen smile as he sat down on the couch opposite mine and asked for a cup of tea while he waited. Mum, still with that strange smile plastered on her face, asked me to make tea while she told V's husband that she called to find out what time my stepdad would be home I made tea for all three of us, and I sat back down on the couch, making awkward small talk with him while my mum repeatedly dialed my stepdad's mobile number, but he wasn't answering. Andrew was talking to me, but I remember thinking that it was rude that he didn't seem to be paying any attention to what I was saying. His eyes were constantly flickering over to my mum, who was standing at the phone in the kitchen area around five meters away from us. The whole thing just felt... Very weird to me at the time. But she eventually got through to my stepdad and, still smiling, said something along the lines of, Oh darling, Andrew is here. Yes, here. In the living room. Yes, yes. He said that he's waiting for you. You won't be long, will you? My stepdad was home within like 20 minutes and convinced Andrew to leave with promises that they would speak on the phone the following day. Now... I found out years later that my mother, stepfather, and the rest of their friends, along with Vivian's parents and brothers, all strongly suspected that Andrew had actually murdered Vivian. My siblings and I didn't attend the funeral. My mum felt that we were too young, I think anyway, but I later discovered that a police presence was needed at Vivian's funeral, which Andrew attended, because Vivian's brothers was so angry that there were concerns that they may assault Andrew as they were convinced that he had actually murdered her. That's how intensely people suspected him. Obviously, my mum was utterly terrified when he showed up at our door that night, but had been desperately trying to both not to antagonize him, nor to frighten me. It had actually transpired that he had been interviewed by the police earlier that day, and it was clear that they were building a case against him. He wanted legal advice and potential representation from my stepfather, who in the end refused. Now, according to my mom, Vivian and Andrew had been having marital problems for a long time, and Vivian had confided in my mum and others that she had felt increasingly uncomfortable around him and that his temper could be frightening for both her and their children. They were already sleeping in separate bedrooms, but... He didn't seem to be accepting that the marriage was all but over. The previous weekend she had told my mum and others that she was planning to officially leave him and that she was going to be making it clear to him that it was over too. She was bludgeoned to death with a steel rod in her bedroom on Valentine's Day when she returned home from dropping her boys off at school, having supposedly interrupted a burglary, though the police immediately realized that it was obviously staged. The contents of drawers from the bedside tables and the chest of drawers had been emptied out in piles onto the floor, but there was no indication that these piles had been sifted through. There were no signs of forced entry and nothing was stolen. My mum and others for that matter, believed that she had potentially rejected some form of romantic gesture and he'd snapped. However, there was blood on the piles of drawer contents, but no blood on the floor underneath, which suggests that the burglary may have been staged before she even returned home that morning. Andrew tried to cover up his crime by deliberately driving to a series of shops and obtaining receipts for small purchases and making inquiries with cashiers to build an alibi, He also originally claimed that he had visited a large shopping mall on the day of the murder and walked around there for quite some time. But two weeks later, presumably when he realized that the police could check CCTV and find that he wasn't there, he changed his story and said that he'd actually been at a very popular local nature reserve walking and reading a book. Conveniently, there is no CCTV in any part of that particular nature reserve, including the car park but he was not seen by any other walkers in the area that day. He had actually come to our house that evening after admitting earlier that day that he had initially lied about his whereabouts to the police and he was arrested soon after. Andrew has never admitted to the murder but was found guilty on circumstantial evidence. He was sentenced to 21 years with a minimum term of 16 years, meaning that He may already be out on parole. I can't find any information about that online however and I don't want to ask my mum about it as I don't want to drag up awful memories for her. Oh and uh, a few years later Andrew also went through a phase of writing letters to my younger brother who would have been around 11 or 12 years old at that stage from prison protesting his innocence. And that... Gives me the creeps.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that
1: So I just graduated from boot camp while I was there some strange things happened that me and some other recruits could not explain and well, I've come here to look for some answers. So here's the story. When you're in boot camp you have to stand watch occasionally for like a few hours. I was usually put on watch at night, me and my partner usually stood watch from midnight to around 2am. my job was usually roving security, which is basically the person who patrols a set area and takes temperatures, readings and whatnot, and looks for suspicious activity and stuff like that. Usually, the most serious things I dealt with were other recruits messing around in the bathrooms and telling them to go back to their bunks. One night, around 2 in the morning, I was making my rounds and thought that I heard talking coming from the bathroom. I went inside and heard whispering coming from the showers, so I walked towards them, and what I saw was just weird. I saw a young man around 17 or 20 years old, hunched over, facing away from me in the darkest corner of the shower area. I walked towards him and said, Hey man, I need you to get back to your bunk. And as I was approaching him, I swear to you that... He just vanished into thin air in the blink of an eye. I remember feeling a a pure shock and confusion. When I walked out, the other guy on watch asked me why I was so pale and I told him what happened. I told him exactly what I had seen and he said it was most likely a result of me being tired from all the stress of boot camp and the lack of sleep too. And To be honest, I agreed with him because... I figured, why would a ghost haunt a shower at a boot camp of all places? And I was pretty tired that night as well. The next night, I didn't have to watch, but the recruit who had my usual shift reported seeing a shadow in the showers and some weird whispering noises while there was nobody there again. I talked to him too and told him what I had seen and that it was most likely our minds playing tricks on us because we're all tired. He agreed and we decided that we should just ignore it that was until I started seeing things outside the showers. I had a slightly earlier watch that night and I was patrolling the bunks just checking on recruits who were sick as I'm supposed to. I was walking past some empty bunks and saw some movement in the corner of my eye. I figured it was some recruit messing around so I go to tell them to get back into bed but as I approach the empty bunks I see some kind of a shadowy figure that didn't look humanoid at all. It was just like a black blob moving around. When I investigated it, it just vanished. The area that it was in was extremely cold too compared to the rest of the room. I just walked away as there was nothing to do there and figured that the staff must have cranked the air conditioning on and I was just tired making stuff up again. Mind you too, I saw this one out of the corner of my eye all throughout boot camp while on the early morning watch. Now, the last story from me was from when I was tasked with taking temperatures throughout the whole building. My job was to go to each division's compartment and ask for their room temperature. I had just taken all but two other division's temperatures and was looking for the last two. As I walked past some empty rooms, I could have sworn that I saw movement inside... So I figured maybe I missed a room and I went back to look inside their window. The room was just being used as storage, I think, and was pitch black except for the light from outside. All I could see were some boxes and empty bunks, but out of the corner of my eye, I saw a person standing in the edge of the light facing me. I saw this too and I decided at this point that I was just going to go look elsewhere for the last two rooms, which I found a few minutes later. However as I was returning to turn in my readings I noticed in the hallway a shadowy arm or limb being outstretched and coming back behind a doorway
0: and when I passed there there was
1: nothing but the area that I was in was super cold again and the room it was just a closed janitorial closet. Also, the other recruit I previously mentioned spoke about seeing somebody dancing in the showers at night, but there being nothing when he investigated. He also said that one night he passed by the showers and saw someone peek out and disappear behind the wall. There was nobody there when he investigated, but he noted the area was really cold as well. Now, I know I'm going to get called a liar by some people and maybe an attention seeker and all that, but... I know in myself that all of what I've said is true. I'm not in this for any sort of clout, nor do I seek to make the military look bad. I'm simply trying to find out what this all is, and what that recruit may have been dealing with too. Also, I cannot disclose as much information as I would like to, because I could get in trouble with the chain of command and stuff, but if you have any ideas of what this all might be then thank you in advance. So I moved into a duplex with my ex about three years ago in what we thought was a safer part of the city. One of our neighbours, Amber, works in the duplex rental office and her husband Ed was at the time fresh out of prison. Later, we would see all the swastika tattoos and had been doing and continues to do landscape work for the rentals like mow the lawns, cut down trees, stuff like that. Other than that, though, he is home mostly doing odds and ends, things like tinkering with his mower or truck or something. But they both are super nice people, very kind and loving towards others and always offer to help out. We've smoked together a few times, Ed smokes more than Amber. Men have talked about all kinds of things, so I honestly thought that I could trust them and felt very safe being their neighbor. Now, I once mentioned how sometimes when I'm home alone, I hear steps in the attic over my room and what sounds like a chair being dragged. How sometimes the noise follows me around the house and always freaks me out to the point of calling someone just to feel a little bit safer until the noises die down. Ed said, what, you think that we're spying on you? In a laughing way, but it definitely creeps me out a bit. So then, I break up with my boyfriend and he moves out. This is recent, so like a few months ago. Ed started texting me, asking if I wanted to smoke while Amber was still at work. I declined every time, finding different excuses because I still felt uncomfortable around him. And then, he just flat out asked me if I wanted to do it with him because he thinks Amber is cheating on him. I definitely shut that down and it was very awkward. I didn't tell Amber too because I didn't want to get kicked out or have some horrible awkward tension and I hate confrontation so I just kept quiet. But that's when I started to hear things in the attic above my room more often. It freaked me out even more when I woke up to a loud bang outside my room door at like 3 to 4am one morning. When I went to examine it, there was a small lockpick outside my door on the ground, but nobody around. I kept the lockpick, and the next day I texted a picture of it to Amber to let her know that I thought someone was creeping around. And she said, Oh, that's Ed's. That's his ice pick, and not a lockpick, sweetie. No one can pick your deadbolt with that. But I know the difference in a foreign skinny lockpick and an ice pick. I'm really scared to be alone here though, especially at night. Our addicts connect and it's not outlandish to think that he could be up there spying on me. And just recently, I even found a freshly drilled hole in the ceiling of my room. I just put wadded up paper in it and try not to think about it. I honestly hope too that nothing comes of it, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just being paranoid. Me, my friend, and my girlfriend were staying on top of a small mountain in a yurt in North Carolina for three days. The yurt was one large cylindrical room with two futons and a kitchen table. Two doors entered the yurt off of a porch that circled one half of the building. The first door was to the north and the second door to the west. The second door was closer to the futons and the main entrance was on the north from the futons. So... The first night we made dinner and we fell asleep after like our 9 hour drive. And nothing out of the ordinary happened. We went out hiking in the morning and we had a full day. Lots of fun. We came back and I made a dinner and we just pretty much passed out. But that night my girlfriend woke up and had an extreme and sudden notion that the doors needed to be locked. So she got up and locked the door and went back to sleep. She claims too that... She woke up again in a sort of sleepy daze to what looked like a black silhouette sitting at the dinner table next to the bed. She just shook it off though as a dream or maybe a sleepy hallucination and she just went back to sleep. We went out again on our third day hiking and returned at about sundown. I actually wanted to take a time lapse of the sun retreating over the mountain so I ran up to the top of a little hill to set up a time lapse aimed down at the yurt. And as I was doing this, my girlfriend and my other friend were exploring a trail that led back into the woods of the mountain. We all went back in and I left the camera shooting. I made dinner and we ate and after I went up to the top of the hill alone to retrieve my camera, this is where things started for me. So I took a quick leak by my tripod and as soon as I finished, this wave of what I can only really explain as energy enveloped me. I all of a sudden had this image in my mind of something behind me in the woods slowly approaching me, like a wall of fog or something. In my mind, I kept having this image of a strange white figure that could have been like a humanoid tree kneeling by the ground and standing up, then sitting, only to repeat the action multiple times. I know that this sounds weird and it was all just in my head, but it was like I could pinpoint where the idea was. A little freaked out, I grabbed my stuff and I just went in for the night. We all fell asleep pretty quickly and in the middle of the night, I awoke to a huge bang on wood that sounded like the north doors were being hit. I was really tired and looked around and neither my girlfriend or my friend on the futon five feet away were awake. So I just sort of look around for a bit, shrug it off and eventually fall back to sleep. I continue to have dreams as if my vision was just floating inside the yurt, slowly panning along the inner wall looking outside of the windows for hours. Like, I was standing inside of the yurt walking around, but I had no body and there was no sound of me walking. And then I awake again to a huge bang at the other door just six feet away from the futon. Since my body is oriented towards it, I open my eyes quickly and... I was immediately fixated at the door, which had a full glass window with a shade. I watched intently, too, looking to see someone or anything, but there was nothing. In my head, I remember saying, this is messed up, and I shut my eyes and I went back to bed. Hours pass, and I wake a third time. This time, I was on my side and didn't open my eyes, though. But to my horror... I can hear a a voice just outside. It was a sort of inflection more than words, though. It spoke in a way like a person speaking to another, though. I had this notion that there were two of whatever it was. I was obviously petrified, and I looked real quick to see the clock at 5.30am. I once again said, this is messed up to myself, and... Eventually, I just laid there and fell back to sleep. Eventually, when we woke up, I went over to talk to my friend, and I said to them that I don't want to alarm you, but I was hearing some really messed up stuff last night. And both my friend and my girlfriend said that they had also awoken to the huge bangs. The weird thing, though, is that when each one of us hear the noises and woke up, we each saw that all the others... Were asleep. So I was watching 411 Hunters and was intrigued by a story in Ohio. I was watching the original documentary, and during the original, there's a scene where there's a camp in an infinite symbol, which reminded me of a childhood incident. So. I was young, somewhere between 8 to 12 maybe, growing up in an area that's rural on the fringes of one of the cities. My cousin and I were outside playing with balsa wood gliders outside the front of the house and my mother was in the basement doing the laundry. We had a robin's egg sky that summer day without a cloud in it around 1pm. We were just having some fun throwing the gliders and chasing them and stuff. And eventually one of the gliders flew into the gutter located on the front of the house. It was no big deal the house had a tv antenna attached to the house right next to the gutter and we had been up on the roof many times before so i started up the antenna and my cousin had started climbing right behind me when all of a sudden the whole world just went completely white all i could see was white and the tv antenna kind of disappeared in my hands and it didn't feel like looking at a flashlight or anything it felt like more like looking at a whiteboard Only this whiteboard was everywhere. I know I turned my head over my right shoulder to look at the source of the whiteout, and the source of the whiteness was sort of shaped like an infinite symbol made of tubing, and I could see different hues of blues and whites there. And then, all of a sudden, just as quickly as it came, it was gone. I then looked at my cousin, who was looking up at me, This strange calmness had flowed into us and he just climbed down. I don't think we said much, if anything, to each other after that. But then my mother came freaking out through the front door because she too saw the whiteness. It had lit up the basement through one of the windows and she had thought that it was a lightning strike but there was no thunder. And besides the antenna there were three large trees but nothing had been struck. I feel like I should add, too, that one night, I think in the fall, we also saw a large, low-flowing aircraft while at my cousin's house. I don't know if it was the same year as the whiteboard, but his house was maybe, like, two miles from mine. Also, I'm much, much older now, and I'm well-versed in electrical engineering, multiple manufacturing trades and technologies, and I've always been an avid outdoorsman, and this whole thing, I still can't explain it. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family, and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you, mates, in the next one.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need.